Pastor Corey here with Heights Church. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. If you would like more information about Heights Church, simply go to weareheights.org or follow us on our Facebook page. If you're looking to get plugged into a church, feel free to reach out to us via our website by simply clicking contact, and we will help you find a similar church in your area. Hope the podcast serves you well, and thanks for tuning in. Excited to be here with you. Uh, I have uh, not fully exhausted, but I will say we it's going to be a heavy sermon. So before we get there, let me uh, remind you of something that <clears throat> just briefly remind you uh, of. And so that is uh, HC Institute. I want to hit this real quick before we get uh, into Revelation 17. HC Institute is uh, part of our disciple-making uh, environments at Heights Community and uh, we fit that under what we call DNA, and so there's smaller group discipleship, and then there's big, big group uh, discipleship. HC Institute fits in that, and I don't have time to tell you everything about it, but we released a video that is on social media, so if you have Facebook, uh, I encourage you to go on there, or that QR code that's on the back of chairs uh, will link you to that in one way or another. There's a link tree on there, so either on our website or on our socials, uh, you can check that, but there are different tracks for you. And so just briefly, if you're a new believer and you, you think, man, I just, I kind of want to get plugged. I'm kind of plugged in. I'd like to know more. There's a track for you for that. Uh, there's a track, the second track that's actually ends up being three years long if you want it to be. Uh, the second track though is if you feel pretty competent, competent and comfortable talking about the faith, talking about Jesus, kind of understand the Trinity or why we take communion perhaps, uh, then you maybe want to step into that. Uh, it's going to be incredible. There's some really, really good classes that have been designed. Most of it is online. Some of it is PDF. It has great authors, John Piper, Tim Keller, a bunch of incredible uh, men that have come together to speak into that. And then there's an elder track as well, or a pastoral uh, resident track of some sort. So if you're looking to be a pastor in Heights, pastor to be sent out to another church for maybe for revitalization or um, helping with an established church or maybe church planting, then there's an option for you uh, in that regard as well. So kind of everything all across the board is really good, really well put together. It's going to be great. Sound good? Yes, I sell you on it? Okay. My prayer is that at least 40 people would go through. That's about, uh, I don't know, 20, 20% of our adult population of our church anyway. And so that would be, that's what I'm praying for. And that's what I'm hopeful for. So here we go. Here we go. Uh, my name is Corey. If you're new, I missed that part. Sorry. One of the pastors on staff. Uh, you're stuck with me for the next 45 uh, minutes or so. We're going to get into Revelation 17, which is going uh, to be intense. And so, so fortunately for me, the majority of you in the room are family. Uh, fortunately and unfortunately for me in the first gathering, uh, there was about 45, 50 guests in there that had no idea who I was, and they showed up to an introduction to Game of Thrones. And so we got <laughs> prostitutes and dragons and beasts and all of that. And, and the reality is, like, I don't have to come up with a really clever uh, introduction with a text uh, such as this, but let me set the tone for you. Uh, Game of Thrones uh, is entertaining, uh, but it's not eternal. And the, re- the reality there, whenever it comes to content such as that, is you have to discern, like, why am I watching this? And I'm just going to level with you. I watched episode one of House of Dragons. That's softcore porn. Whenever I have to fast forward through 60% of a show because I know, like, I don't need to be seeing the things that are happening there. You get a little bit of that anxiety in you and your heart starts to race a little bit and, and you start having thoughts like, dang, what would happen if my wife walked down here right now? 
while this dude's brother is over here in this brothel? That, that's the title of softcore porn. And so it might be eternal. It might, not, it might be entertainment, but it's most certainly not going to fuel your family into the eternity in a way you want. And based off the text today, man, that could very well be, and I would push to say, that is the spirit of the prostitute that's in Revelation 17. And so the text today, my conviction today, and I don't say this a lot, but my conviction today is that this text, man, could literally save your soul. That's not something Corey gets up and say, I'll preach boldly, I'll be clear, I'm going to share that, I'm going to preach and proclaim the gospel. And at the same time, my conviction today, there's just certain times in my life as a pastor where I've had the privilege to preach, and I know the Holy Spirit is already there, already prepared, already showed up, and ready to knock some socks off some folks. Today's that day. I was sharing with the team before we got started today a story of Charles Spurgeon where Charles Spurgeon preaches this incredible sermon. This little old lady walks up to him. He's the prince of, prince of preachers, by the way. This little old lady walks up and she says, I don't believe a word you just said, but I believe that you believe every word you just said. And I'll come back next week. That's today for me. You don't have to agree with me on everything I'm going to say, but I want you to know firsthand that I am preaching today with an incredible amount of conviction for our church proper. This is a family, what we call a family conversation. So we were in the book of Revelation, specifically Revelation 17. I don't have time to catch everybody up, but in short, uh, what you've seen is this. Uh, Two weeks ago, I got to preach a sermon to introduce the bowls, which was a form of wrath and destruction that was coming. Tim Gray last week, if you were here, man, preached a bomb sermon unpacking what those bowls meant. Was anybody here for that? It was incredible. He did an incredible job. You can listen to it if you missed it. This week is simply a picture of the sixth and seventh bowl being dumped out, God's wrath being dumped out. And so if you've been in Revelation with us, then you can kind of, hopefully you can see now how like something really big will happen at a macro level. So you have the seals and you have the trumpets, you have the bowls that are happening now. It's kind of macro 30,000 feet up in the air, helicopter view. And then the apostle John will zoom us in and say, hey, focus on this. And he kind of gives us a little bit of an interlude, kind of a closer, clearer picture of what's happening. And so the way we think about that here, especially as I've been designing this series, is if you imagine like standing in a sunroom, you're standing in the sunroom, you have windows that are all around you. Whenever you look out the different windows of that room, you see the same creation. It doesn't change. You're just looking at it from a different vantage point. Does that make sense? Okay, good. Just me and Doug. Got it. Doug, we're tracking. Thank you, Doug. All right, let's go. Just, I got it. That's the book of Revelation. We're standing in the book of Revelation, and Jesus is given different windows by the power of his spirit. The apostle John is saying, hey, then I looked out of this window, and then I looked out of this window, and then I looked out of this window. And in the window that we're in this week, we see the prostitute and the beast. And what the text shows, and why I said I believe that this text, not just the sermon, it's nothing about me, but the text itself could literally save you, is because the text today reveals everything that you find more attractive than Jesus. The text today will reveal to you everything that leads you further away from the grace of God. The text that we're presented with today shows you everything that you find more attractive, everything that you find more seductive, everything that you find more enticing than you find Jesus. And so the word that came to mind this week that I wrote down was alluring. Everything that we find 
alluring. And if you look up that definition, it is a mysterious attractiveness, a seductiveness, a seductiveness so powerful that while you know you should have nothing to do with it, you cannot help but take, you can't help but look, man. It just raptures you up in it. Not in the sense of the word book of Revelation or rapture. It raptures you up into that episode, into that series, into that thing, into that video, into that relationship. It is so enticing, so alluring, so powerful. And if we would take just a minute, church, and identify the things that we find more alluring than we find Jesus, it might actually save us. And so the text today doesn't reveals then not only should we identify the things that are alluring, man, but we have to move past transparency into actual genuine repentance and faith. The, one of my favorite aspects about Heights is that we have a very, very transparent culture. Y'all are a bunch of misfits, okay? At any other church, all of you would be on church discipline, okay? And, but we have so much of you, we don't have enough pastors to man it all, okay? And so you bunch of crazies in here. Me of which I'm the chief. And so we have a very transparent church, yeah? Your missional community leaders are transparent. And they confess sin. They're real women and men that lead in that capacity. Your pastors get up here. I get up here and confess things. I'll probably confess things that aren't even in my notes today. We want to be transparent. We want to create that environment. The problem is whenever transparency does not lead to repentance, then what have we done? All we have done is kind of exalted and identified sin that exists in our lives, but we never actually took it to the cross of Christ. And so what happens in the church, more often than not, is that people come and confess some sort of sin to you, and you say, man, you're so strong. You're so brave. Oh, thank you for sharing that. Let's go to Starbucks. Like, Starbucks doesn't save you, church. But it, it's a decent cup of coffee at best, Right? What needs to happen is whenever people come and they confess and they're pouring out their soul for you, you say, great, now let's look at Jesus on the cross. How is he better than this thing? How is he more sufficient than what you're pursuing? How does he, God help us, become more enticing, become more enticing to me than the thing that's pursuing me right now or alluring to me? And so you have to move past transparency, past confession, into repentance, where you genuinely look at the cross of Christ, and you look at the resurrection, and the power of the Holy Spirit has been given to you, and you say, here's how you're better. Thank you, Lord, for revealing it. This is what your spirit does. And then you bump on from then. To be perfect? No. But so that the world might lead you again back to the feet of Jesus, to have the same conversation again. And again, and again, until you're with them in the kingdom. So the big idea is transparency met with repentance leads to true vulnerability. Transparency, when met with repentance, that is turning from the thing I confessed and looking to the cross of Christ, that actually leads me to be vulnerable. And when I say vulnerability, what I mean by that is it actually leads me to literally rip my chest cavity open and lay my guts bare before you so that you can see who I actually am, right? Not the Corey that gets up and says, hey, sometimes I experience some insecurity and I feel insufficient whenever I preach, but the Corey that comes before you and says, I feel wildly insignificant and inferior because I actually want you to like me more than Jesus in my sermons, and that's what I'm stressed about on Wednesday. There's a difference there between me saying, sharing something and then saying, now let me lay myself bare for, for you. Does that make sense? 
All right? And so transparency met with repentance leads to true vulnerability. This is what we see in the text. Normally we would have three points. Today we have time for one point. And listen here, it's going to be enough. It's going to be enough. Warning to the saints, you might say. This has been the same point for the last three weeks. That's because we're in the same book as the last three weeks. Same window, really. Warning to the saints. Are you ready for all that? All right, Revelation 17, 1. When you're ready, say ready. ready. Then one of the seven angels, who had the seven bowls, came and said to me, this is Apostle John, uh, come, I will show, listen to this now, come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become Drunk, reminder here, I put a disclaimer out on Facebook that today would be HC17, all right? If you're new to Heights, that means it's, it might be inappropriate for some kiddos, so just earmuffs, you know? At the same time, it's the word of the Lord. And so my, my conviction here is that I have to teach that, not so much worry about your comfort. It's going to get uncomfortable. Uh, the angel starts off by saying, come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute. And then, listen to this. Then the angel now tells of everything that's going to happen. He says, hey, here's what you're going to see. You're going to see the judgment that is coming for this great prostitute as well as the judgment she brings on the people. I want you to see that. Here's what is coming before you. She's committed, committed sexual immorality. So that's the sin that is revealed in the text that we're going to have to get into. She has gotten drunk with those who have committed sexual immorality. He says she's riding the beast. If you are here a few weeks ago, we looked at that beast and we talked about his crowns and his horns and the antichrist and the false prophet. We got to talk about all that stuff. And he says this beast is full of blasphemy, that is names that speak against God the Father, names that speak against his character and his attributes and who he is as God. That's what he's wearing, the beast is wearing on his person. He's saying this prostitute is on this beast. Now the prostitute, who is that? That's just Babylon. Okay, it's nothing new that is happening in the book of Revelation. If you remember from a few weeks ago, the saints were singing. Do you remember that? And they sing, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. Right? They're singing out. They're singing of her destruction, of her demise, of the victory of the Lamb over her. So this is nothing new. You with me? We're just looking through a different window and seeing it more clearly. Does that still make sense when I say it that way? Yeah. I need to make sure you guys are with me on this. So there's nothing new. So the prostitute that is here in the text, some translations, which makes me feel really uncomfortable, will call her the whore of Babylon. This is why I didn't want your kids in here. The whore of Babylon. And so what she is, is she is a picture of everything sensual, everything sexual, everything alluring that exists in the world. All of it. All, of the, all forms of sexual immorality, the things that are blatant and clear as day, and the things that you wrestle with in your private life when no one can see you. This is who she is. The spirit of the prostitute is alive and well, church. She was there in the garden. She was there in Rome when this book was penned for them. And she's most certainly here in a sex-craved culture that we live in in 2022. Yeah? And so we've got to get into it. Uh, what's interesting about this is that whenever you talk about sex, sexual sin, sexual immorality, whatever, all different forms, and we don't have time for all of it, uh, people will look at you and they'll say, well, the Bible is outdated. The Bible is just misogynistic. The Bible is just 
patriarchal. The Bible is outside of our, our time. It's so, so tired. Who would ever use the word? Jesus never talked about any of that stuff, so clearly it's not present. But there's 66 books, and fortunately, all of them cover all of it in one way, shape, or form. And so what's interesting about that, let's just go ahead and like speak to that in what's called, an apolog- uh, what's called a Christian apologetics. To be completely clear, if you're going to look at the Bible and you're going to say, the Bible does not speak to that, you can say that. And while our culture would say, just because you say something is true, it ain't true. Like in order for that to be true, for the Bible to not speak to what is happening here in Rome and this prostitute and the picture of Rome that John has given to us, you would literally have to undo and rewrite or erase every single aspect of the Greco-Roman culture, which is the most powerful entity and powerhouse that has literally ever existed for all of history. You would have to rewrite thousands of years of data in history for that to be true. Are you with me? Like, think about this. So in the book, in Rome, just to be clear, everything that was happening in their culture is happening in our culture. The Bible was written, to be clear, not in 2022, but back then, when everything was happening in Rome. Are you still tracking with me? And so I was thinking about, like, just this week, I just want to unpack a few things. You're going to get uncomfortable. It makes me uncomfortable to talk about, but we got to go there. We've got to talk about everything, every piece of sin that exists in this room, regardless of a fear of being canceled or dismissed, all right? So my comfort is also least important. Think about the LGBTQ plus acronym, regardless of your religious affiliation here. Just when you think about this from a historical scientific standpoint. LGBTQ plus, in that plus exists a letter P, okay? The P then stands for polyamory which means multiple lovers, if you're unfamiliar with this language. The P stand, there's a P that stands for polygamy, which means multiple spouses. You can be in covenant with more than one man or a woman, multiple men and women. There's a P that stands for pansexual, that is fluid everything. Uh, one of my good friends, my kids would call uncle, is a black pansexual. He's a good friend to me. He's a good family to me. Calls me, texts me, we chat. Um, he lives in Florida, and we still maintain communication. Right? To be clear, you should always hang out with people you don't necessarily agree with. That's what being a missionary is, yeah? And so who else is going to love folks? Right? Everybody else is going to tell them you do you. Somebody's got to come to them and have a conversation. P also in that P stands for pedophilia. Tell me how easy that was to talk about in the first gathering with child dedications. The Roman Empire... Princes and kings during that time would exercise pedophilia as a part of their royalty. Polyamory, all of that. Everything that exists within that acronym that is now, that people would say is outdated and the Bible doesn't speak to, all those things were exalted and used in Rome. They had multiple gods that they would worship and they would say they had the God of this sort of immorality and this sort of immorality and this sort of immorality. And what they would do, again, so I had kiddos, better, not to be, better for them not to be in here. What would happen during this time is that they would have mass orgies around brass bulls. And we talked about this a little bit before. And they would put Christians inside of those bulls and light the bulls on fire while they got drunk and had orgies around them so that the screams from the Christians who were dying inside of the bull would emulate that the bull was just as live as everyone else. That's when the Bible was written. 
Whenever people disagreed in that way, they weren't just canceled on social media. They were drug out into the city square and lit on fire. That's where we get the term Roman candles. And so to say that the Bible is outdated and that it doesn't speak to this because it's too misogynistic or patriarchal or whatever it may be is wildly inappropriate and inaccurate. Like you literally have to undo all the Greco-Roman history for that to even fit, for that to fit anywhere in there. But you read the book of 1 Corinthians, dude, and it speaks to everything that I just mentioned. Literally, in one chapter, they talk, Paul, the Apostle Paul talks about it. And so to clear the air there, it's not outdated. It is 100% the spirit of the prostitute. That's another P that I would add in there. And she has been alive in the garden. She's alive in Rome, and she is most certainly alive right now. And there comes this reality, listen, where it is our responsibility as a church to recognize, hey, she's out there, and then to also engage. Because who else is going to engage? You, who do you want to engage? People you love and care about. Do you want the world to engage them? And they say, hey, you do you. You're so strong. You're so brave. You're so... Or do you want someone to come with them and actually set and build a relationship and get to know them and figure out, like, what are you searching for? What are you looking for? What do you hope to find? And then further, even if you disagree, listen, cats out the bag, church, you can disagree with someone and still have dinner with them tonight. Like, Andrea, my wife, does it all the time. <laughs> I don't know about that, babe. You pass the spaghetti? Yeah, sure. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Hey, just because someone, listen, you can disagree without division. You can disagree with love and grace. You can disagree with mercy. You don't have to disagree with your hands. You don't have to disagree with signs. You don't have to disagree verbally in a verbally harsh way. You don't have to disagree with a post on social media that you think's finally going to get them. Because you put the last period on there and you win. You can hide all the comments you don't want to engage. That's not a disagreement. That's just you putting yourself first over people who are experiencing an incredible amount of loneliness. Spirit of the prostitute pushing that out. And so then you have the beast. I'm not going to get into it. The beast is the, um, essentially the governing heads and then the, the dependency that comes that they force you into. You can go back and listen to that sermon. Here's what you can see in this text, though, is you have the seductive and alluring spirit of the world riding on the governmental powers. They're working together. There's this real war that is at hand. John has been said, hey, here's what you're going to see. This is coming. She's coming. You're going to see her. Get ready for it. Judgment is on her. She's bringing judgment. Here she comes. And listen to this, verse 3. This is so telling of the human condition. This is my majority of my conviction comes from this week. Verse 3. And he, that's the Spirit, carried me, that's the Apostle John, the Spirit carried John away in the Spirit into, sorry, the angel carried him away in the Spirit into the wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast. And it was full of blasphemous names. That's names that speak against God and his characters, attributes. And it had seven heads and ten horns. We talked about that a few weeks ago. The woman was what? Arrayed, man. Hey, the woman was what? Arrayed. Arrayed. She was beautiful. Beautifully dressed. Not knockoff. I was talking about Lululemon. You know what I'm saying? Beautifully dressed arrayed in purple and scarlet. That's the color of royalty. Adorned. Somebody say adorned. Adorned with 
gold and jewels and pearls, everything you find materialistically satisfying for you. Holding in her hand a golden cup full of what? There's another A word. Abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written, we've talked about this with the beast and the righteous, and on her forehead was written a, a name of mystery, some mysterious about her. Mysteriously attractive is what I would say based off the Greek. Written on her name, Babylon, the great mother of prostitutes and of the earth's abominations. And I saw the woman, listen, drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs, that's those who have died for Christ. And when I saw her, I what? What does it say? Marveled greatly. Do you see the warning in the text? There's time to sound the alarm. Do you see that warning? I want you to think about this for just a minute. John, to be clear, we don't believe that there's some lady riding around on a dragon out in the galaxy. John would have physically, visually seen that. We believe that this is a a picture here, church, of a war that is taking place between Christ and his kingdom and someone who's trying to overthrow it. And it's a war between two women. And it's not some cat fight like we would see on Jerry Springer 10 years ago. It is a real, genuine war. And there are two ladies that are present here, and they're fighting for the one who has their soul. I mean, who has their heart? You have the bride of Christ. This is one woman here in the text. Apostle John is representing. You have the prostitute of Babylon, which is simply a representation of the world and everything that it invites you to believe and everything you find enticing and attractive and seductive and alluring and everything that kind of leads you to kind of creep in just a little bit closer and get a little bit more and a little bit more of a taste and a little bit more of a visual. And you know that it exists. Like it happens in this room. You can come in here, dude, and hear, hear and feel and be led into the Shekinah glory of God. That is like the glory that filled the temple that made Moses' face shine like the sun. You can experience it, and then you can walk outside, and the spirit of the prostitute will lead you to look at a brother or sister in a way you shouldn't. Tell me it doesn't happen. It happens. You want to experience the spirit of the prostitute? We went to a cards game yesterday. There's some things there you can't unsee. She's everywhere. He's everywhere. It's for both men and women alike, yeah? You want to go to the gym? Go to the gym. Tell me she's not there. Everybody just walking around like this? Heck no. The way people dress nowadays leaves nothing to the imagination. Tell me she's not in the room. Tell me she's not there. Dude, and so you have this war that is taking place with the bride of Christ and then the prostitute of Babylon. I want you to pay attention here because I, I, this, the conviction is like it could literally set you free. Like, save you. Some of you are spiraling towards the depths of hell. It ain't the heat off the seraphim angel wings you're feeling. It's the depths of hell. And you're pursuing and you're walking towards this. You're holding hands with sin like we talked about last week. And it's going to literally kill everything you proclaim to love with your mouth. Yet you do not model with your actions. And so here is John. And he's here. And he's in this kingdom. And he's right here. And the angel looks at him and says, this This is what you're going to see. You're going to see the prostitute. She's going to be incredible. She's also going to have abominations all over her body. She's going to drink the blood of those who were martyrs. She's coming. John, are you ready? 
He's like, yeah, I'm ready. Let's go. He swoops him away. And then whenever she walks onto the scene, the text does not say, and then John fast forward to the parts that made him feel uncomfortable. <laughs> no. He says what? I marveled greatly. That's a perfect picture of transparency and vulnerability. He said, I marveled. We usually stop there. He says, greatly. That's the difference. I marveled enough to leave my wife over her. I'm, I marveled to such a great extent that while I'm literally, think about this, I'm literally in the kingdom of God, pinning Bible, church, writing it for us, looking at the lamb sitting on the throne, seeing the perfect picture of all of create, like all of Christians worshiping this God, they're singing out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Like he's in the glory of the Lord in this vision. And yet she is so alluring, so seductive, so enticing that he goes, but man, she's hot. I mean, I, dang, I didn't know she's gonna look like that. That's what we're at war with. Well, she ain't that bad. While she's got a knife behind her back. Come over here and get a drink of this cup, she says. Do you see that warning in there? That, man, we can be steeped in the gospel, church. Setting in the glory of the Lord, listen, with our brothers and sisters. And the spirit of the prostitute is such that we will look at her and go, dang. I knew she was going to be hot, but I didn't know she was going to look like that. Maybe she's not so bad. I can just watch a little bit of the episode. I can just catch a little bit of it on Instagram. Because it's sexual sin, right? And there's all these warnings and all these indicators. No different than the angel, right? Your heart starts to pound a little bit. Your blood pressure starts to raise a little bit. You kind of get this feeling of like, man, I don't think I should be here. But the mysteriousness of it is like, but I really want to be. It is possible then, the warning reveals, to be in, in the presence of the Messiah in marvel sin. That's what's revealed. This is the warning to the church. And we better sound the alarm. <laughs> because it happens every day, day in and day out. We marvel the mystery of the mistress. She's alluring. So there's three observations I want to give you based off this right here. I feel like that's enough, but I think we need to play here for a little bit longer, yeah? First observation is this. You're not above sin. You're not above, you're not, hey, you're not above the mistress. I'm not above the mistress. We're just not above it. There's a real reality here, right, where if you think you're above sin, you are steeped in it, church. Steeped in it. I mean, if you to actually believe, I think I am, as a, I'm talking to Christians to be clear, if, to think like, I don't, as a Christian, I don't need Jesus. As a Christian, I don't need the cross. As a Christian, I don't need the Holy Spirit. As a Christian, I don't need to confess, to repent, to actually walk out confession and repentance, not just once to come to faith, but as a lifestyle, like on the daily, it is the very road that I'm walking through. If you think for a moment, as a professing Christian, I don't need that. You are steeped. No one in this room is above it. There's only one who's above it, and he's not preaching. His name is Jesus. Second observation then is this. Transparency is not a substitute for repentance and vulnerability. 
Transparency is not a substitute for repentance and vulnerability. Keep that up for me as people are writing that down, Miss Linda. Look, transparency is the beginning of vulnerability. It's the beginning of repentance. You have to confess to be able to repent. You understand? So it's part of confession and repentance is to say in, in transparency, hey, this is what I'm wrestling with. This is what I'm struggling with, brother, sister. This is what I need help with. And then that needs to graduate you into repentance. But I'm looking at the cross of Christ and I need help seeing how is he better than this thing that I keep finding so enticing that has got me by the heart and by the guts and is leading me closer and closer and closer to it and not him, there's a reality where you have to, you can confess and then you have to actually repent. The problem with the church that I have seen in my short tenure is it will people, when they come, especially in regards to sexual sin, sexual immorality, sexual identity, sexual experiences, people will come and confess. Brother, I'm feeling attracted towards this. Brother, I have pursued this. And then instead of saying, how do you find Jesus to be more? How do you find Jesus better? Here's ways that he is. We just pat them on the back and we say, good job. You're so strong. You're so courageous. You should do you. It's the mantra of our culture. Go and do you and keep on sinning. Instead of saying, brother and sister, let me plead for your soul right now. Like you're just holding, we just let them keep holding hands. They come this incredible moment and they're like, God, I, Corey, I'm struggling with, there's so-and-so, I'm struggling with X, Y, and Z. And we just go, thank you for sharing that. It must have took a lot. And then nothing else. Tell me it doesn't happen. Happen in our missional communities. Happen in relationships at work. Oh, you're just misunderstood. No, you're in sin. And I can lovingly look at you and say, Brother, sister, let me show you how Jesus is. I think Jesus is better. And then let's wage war together. You cannot treat confession as if it is repentance. It is not. Third observation then is this. You need someone to question your motives. You need someone to question your motives. This comes more out of 17.7. If you could put that up for me. I love this, man. I love this. I love questions in the Bible. But the angel said to me, why do you marvel? Look here. Do you have someone in your life that will ask you this question? Why do you marvel? And then he doesn't look, he doesn't change a beat. He doesn't reword anything he said. He doesn't cower back. He's not dismissive. He doesn't pat John on the shoulder. He says, as he started this chapter, I will tell you the mystery of the woman. Why do you marvel? Brother, let me remind you of what you're seeing. Let me remind you of what's happening here. Do you have this person in your life, church? Like, think about it. This is a question I'm telling you. The way you answer the question of why do you marvel will lead you to transparency and repentance. It is the best question you can ask yourself today. Why do you marvel? He asks one question, and in that one question, he asks a lot of questions. What do you hope to find in this woman? How do you think it's going to change or better your identity? Where do you think that's going to lead you? He asks one question, but we know it asks, it asks and answers a lot of questions, doesn't it? Why do you marvel? We live in a culture and an age of the prostitute, the spirit of the 
prostitute. Our mantra, as mentioned, and as you know, is you do you. Got some here. You do you. This is your time. Be your best self. As Tim Gray mentioned last week, that dude dropped an incredible sermon on you last week if you missed it. He said, judgment is now a four-letter word. Remember that? Especially if you're in this service regularly. Judgment is now a four-letter word. So you're not allowed to disagree or come against or have your own opinion. You just have to go with the vocal minority in the culture. Otherwise, you're going to get canceled. Like, that's the fear of me. Whenever I get up and have to teach something that involves sexual immorality, right? You all talk about sexual immorality. You go to work the next day. Corey says something wrong or something that can be a little bit of a soundbite, and what happens? He gets plastered all over social media for thousands to see. And now I'm not, now who am I? I'm just some white conservative dude who's overly opinionated and a spiritual abuser. That's what happens to me on Monday or Tuesday. And yet the, the reality of the world that we live in, they say, right, if you, if you agree with us, man, we'll love you. We're inviting of you. Hey, you don't have to be bullied. You don't have to experience this. If you just come alongside us and then the very moment you begin to change or you repent or you turn from that thing, what does that same crowd of people say to you? Well, you're bigoted and overly opinionated. Does that sound like the grace of the gospel? Not at all. And yet, man, our junior high kids and our high schoolers are ridden with this reality. Because you can't be bullied and picked on if you identify as someone different than the way God designed you. It's what our kids are wrestling with. It's what our adult family is wrestling with. And instead of someone coming and loving someone well and asking them questions and building relationships. I'm not even saying that like you have to fully agree, disagree. I'm just saying like as a basic human being, can we not come before someone that is ridden with sexual sin and say, brother, sister, why do you marvel? What are you looking for? What are you longing for? What do you hope to achieve? What are you aspiring to? What do you think is going to come out of the situation? In light of sexual identity, is it not an appropriate question to come to someone and say, brother, sister, why do you marvel? What do you, what do you hope to obtain? What do you think that you're going to find that you've not found? What do you think is available to you that might not be in Christ Jesus, brother, sister? Why are you marveling? What are you looking at? What are you looking forward to? Is this something that Jesus can speak into? Can he meet that need? Can he love you where you're at? Instead, what happens is the church feels uncomfortable, specifically conservative churches like ours, by the way. And so someone comes with some sort of sexual sin or sexual identity, and we just go, stop sinning. How effective is that? That's not what the angel says, does he? No, he says, why do you marvel? And then he doesn't change a thing. He says, let me tell you what you're looking for. Let me, let me tell you what you're going to see. Here's exactly what you are going to see. And for us in this room, we need to repent of that. As I was processing through this this week, to further drive this conviction, I was looking into statistics and do you know that men and women that experience sexual uh, transition surgeries, they make up 40% of the total suicide rates in our country. 40%, that small population that is like 0.4, make up 40% of total suicides. And it's not because the culture doesn't accept them. It's because they don't have men and women around them that love them enough to say, why do you marvel? Is their life worth our comfort? Is their life worth our comfort? 
When you think about, we have a church full of younger folks, man. When you think about younger folks who get together, 90% of cohabitating relationships, that is 90% of men and women who live together before marriage, fail. 90%. Is that worth taking a bet on? I don't bet often, but I ain't betting on that. You know what I'm saying? And I'm not up here as like a dude that had it all figured out. Andrew and I started dating. We never left each other. We had one movie night, never left, 13 years ago. Been together every night since. You with me? In sin together. You tracking? What I'm not going to do is have so little love for you that I get up and go, hey, we fell into the 10%. Praise God. It could go well for you too. No, I'm going to say 90% of them fail. By God's grace and mercy, I led her terribly, and we're still together married. That's a testament to God's grace and mercy that he can use anything to bring redemption. It's not, look at us. You could do it also. You should do you. You deserve. You're, so, you're going to save on the rent. Come on now. <laughs> Worth it, right? I'm not going to do that. But it's so fun, and it's so enticing, and it's so exciting, and it's alluring, and it's, yeah, until it's not, right? About three years into marriage, maybe for some of you, two years into marriage, you realize some of that goes away, and then you got to fight for it, right? And that's when your faith has to be there, right? Where you have to look upon the King of kings and the Lord of lords and say, you pursue me at my worst. I can get up and have breakfast with this individual, Right? Her mom, Andrew's mom told me, not in my notes, Andrew's mom told me whenever I asked for a hand in marriage of her and her father, she said, Corey, there are going to be days where you can't stand to hear one another breathe. And marriage in this family is for, she went sandlot on me, forever, is what she said to me. Remember that? So she said, are you willing to endure? Apart from the gospel of Christ, you cannot. There's a spirit of the age called the prostitute. And she wants to steal, and she wants to kill, and she wants to destroy everything. And here's the deal. You don't have to agree with me. Just let science sell you on it. Just look into sociology this week and see if if science doesn't match the teaching of the Bible that's so outdated. And it will 100% match up. And so what do we do with that text? Let me invite you to stand here. Stand up with me. Let's make this final proclamation of the gospel here. And the reality is that last observation is, you know, leads you to ask the question, do you have someone that's willing to look at you and tell you when you're marveling? Not someone that's coming to you legalistically, not someone that's trying to beat you to death with the Bible, but someone who can look at you and just say, brother, I see an error in you. you know, let's have a conversation about that. Listen, if you don't have that, and many of you don't, let me invite you to step into missional communities. It's not a bunch of people that are perfect. We giggle when, we call each, when I call you all misfits because it's true. A bunch of people that are broken, a bunch of people in there that are messed up, a bunch of people that are learning about Jesus, a bunch of people that have waded through the waters of divorce, adultery, loss, loss of family, loss of kids, loss of church home. It's a bunch of folks that are just craving Jesus. That's what they do well. They see their imperfections and they see the, perfect, the perfection of Christ. Here's the deal. He's the only one worth marveling. He's the only one. 
He is the antithesis to everything that is the prostitute. She's sitting there, man. She's got her jewels on. She's got her chalice of blood, riding this beast, laughing and giggling. Everything about Jesus is the exact opposite of that. He leaves all the jewels, leaves all the royalty, leaves his whole entire kingdom to come and dwell among us as a man, impoverished. Has parents that are called adulterers, by the way. Who are you? You're just the son of some carpenter. What are you going to do? Right? He understands what it feels like to be dismissed, to be overlooked, to be thrown to the wayside by a culture. He understands. And he doesn't say, hey, fill my chalice with your blood. Rather, he says, I'm going to go to the cross and do what you could never do. I'm going to spill my own blood for you, to redeem you, to save you. He ain't on top of the beast giggling. Right? That prostitute's on top of the beast. She hears 40% of those folks make a major suicide, and she's just clapping, <laughs> laughing hysterically. She hears 90% of folks aren't going to end up getting married because they chose to live in a way that was different than God's word. I mean, you got a 50% chance marrying a rock outside staying together. 90% of you stay, live together beforehand. It's going to fail. She, he is the opposite of every single aspect of her on that horse, or on that beast. And he's the only one worth marveling, church. He's the only one. He comes to do what we cannot do in his life. He takes the death that we deserve. He resurrects us, and then he sends us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit seals us in covenant with him. We commit spiritual adultery every single day of our lives. And he says, the father looks at the son and says, they get to remain in covenant with me because of you. Not because of their work, because of your work. Not because they're perfect, because you're perfect. They're sealed in me. And that's something that the spirit of the prostitute, no matter how hard she tries, will never take away. That's what we celebrate when we take communion. And so let me invite you to respond through communion. The Apostle Paul says this, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And whenever he had given things, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Before you open those up, let me finish up here. In the same way also, he took the cup. This is a whole different cup, church. Vastly different church cup. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And Jesus died a death so that we don't have to. And the beauty of the gospel is that he literally surrenders every single aspect of his being, everything that you find attractive in the prostitute he let go of. And in doing so, he became the only one worth marveling. And we get to confess and we get to profess faith in him. So before you take communion today, let me invite you into something. I want to invite you into the normal routine of transparency and confession that we do. But I also want to invite you not to take a drink of that communion cup until you've looked at the cross and seen Jesus is better. And you might have to fight. You might have to fight like, like crazy. But it's a fight that's worth fighting, church. It's worth going to war for. I would maybe even encourage you that if you can't see him as attractive today, that you can't find repentance in there, you, can't, you can confess, but you can't see physically how he speaks, then maybe today's a good Sunday for you to abstain from communion. Not because the gospel isn't sufficient, but because maybe it needs to be shared with a brother or sister. Where I, I take my communion cup to Jeremy, I say, brother, I'm fighting to see Christ in this. I just don't see him. I just can't find him. And then have someone gospel you through that this week, or maybe today, during the gathering. 
And then take that communion with a repentant heart where you can see Jesus is beautiful and not just useful for you, all right? For those of you that are saints, the table's open.